welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the CCM Investing Power Hour number 46. We're coming up on number 52 here shortly. We may have to do a special episode as we come on our uh, one-year anniversary. My name is Brett Schaefer. I am joined by my co-host, Ryan Henderson. Today is our Power Hour episode where we analyze uh, anything, really, in the investing universe. We can do earnings, which since it's the middle of earnings season, we're going to be covering a lot of earnings this week. We can be doing anything broader, anything more thematic. We can be doing financial news stories, really anything that comes to mind. And the only rules are we have to bring two topics each and it lasts an hour. And it goes live on YouTube every 1230 Eastern time on Thursdays. Okay, before we get into it, this episode is presented by Stratosphere.io, our investing home screen for fundamental research. Throughout this episode and really all our episodes at Chip Chat Money, we're using Stratosphere's dashboard tool. We're using their nifty newsfeed, SEC file aggregation, and especially their fundamental charting tool to compare companies. And there is plenty more that Stratosphere has to offer. And the best part is you can join for free. We know that if you are looking for a really robust dashboard tool or any sort of investing home screen for yourself, a lot of the good ones, you know, you have to pay up a big amount of money. Stratosphere, the best part, it's free. And if you want to upgrade to their free, or excuse me, their paid plan, you can use our promo code CCM for 15% off. That is stratosphere.io, ditch Yahoo Finance. Uh, I know we're going to be mean to them, but seriously, it's much better than that. And try stratosphere.io. Okay, Ryan. Your turn. Why don't we? Uh, well, let's start with you. You're uh, you are in a new location. South America. I don't. You know, I, I don't want any of our Chilean fans to uh, to come knocking on your door. But you're in Chile. I, How is yes. it? It is good. It is hot. I would describe it as kind of Central California weather, but less. You know, a little more mountainy. Um, so yeah, but it's been good. I've only been here a day, so I'm kind of just settling in and I'll be here for the next few months. Uh, so no really news to report. Maybe in two weeks, we can get a short uh, report back because I, I've really just been unpacking and figuring out my grocery situation. So nothing exciting, but yeah, uh, the Wi-Fi seems to be working well, which is good. That's the most yeah. important thing that Ryan is nervous about. Brett's got a new mic, so uh, if his audio sounds a lot better than mine or something, let us know because I, I bought one. I got to hook it up, but uh, we'll 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 be upgrading the mics here soon. We got these odd looking headsets, but I guess they make us look semi professional. Doesn't matter. Let's. Uh, it's oh, wait, I did. I did. Us. I did check. I think one percent of our listeners are from Chile, so maybe there's ten people in Santiago. Ooh. If you're here, let me know. Let's chat it up. I, I would like to. I'd like to see you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, it's earnings palooza season. I, I think every like finance show, anytime there's earnings season, calls their show earnings palooza. But anyway, there's a couple of ones that are pretty interesting. 
that I've looked at this week, Airbnb, uh, Roblox, Upstart, Zillow was kind of interesting as well. Um, I know you're going to be talking about Charlie Munger. He had the Daily Journal annual meeting. There were some funny tidbits in that. Anything else? What, what else are you talking about? Uh, I had Roku earnings, I think were interesting. And then did you say Airbnb as well? I thought that was a very fascinating report. There's a lot of you know, narrative out there about Airbnb, a lot of discussion. And I think kind of the, if you look at the data, it can be a lot more illuminating. Um, some stuff we've been right on and some stuff we've actually, we've been wrong on. I said actually wrong, we're wrong a lot, but some stuff we've been wrong on as well. Yeah, why don't, why don't we start with Airbnb? This was just in general, I feel like every report I've ever looked at this quarter, I've thought like, well, you know, here's the pros, here's the cons, there's some good parts, bad parts, that kind of thing. Airbnb's was just like an exceptional quarter all around. Probably the best quarter I've looked at this earnings season. Um, revenue grew at a healthy rate, even in spite of, of foreign exchange headwinds. Uh, they did $8.4 billion in revenue for the full year. And probably going to be on pace to do more than 10 billion this year. They generate tons of free cash flow, more than $3 billion in free cash flow. And they return a lot of that cash to shareholders. I think they bought back a billion and a half this year. That was Uh, nice to see. Yeah. They just ramped that up as well. Yeah. It's really just kind of, I don't know, just impressive across the board. Do you want uh, me, I have some other key metrics from there that I think would be interesting to discuss. Um, yeah, yeah, go for just it. Just for the audience quick. Here's two. I don't want to throw out too many, but they had a gross booking value, which is basically all the dollars flowing through their platform at $63.2 billion, up 35% year over year. And that is uh, from fiscal year 2022. So this calendar year. And the nights and experiences booked were 390, say 394 million, up 31% year over year for the full year 2022. And then the fourth quarter slowed a bit, but 20% year over year growth for both of those. Any big takeaways from you, Ryan, outside of this is, uh, you know, they, they're doing well. And for the people like us who have been you know, watching Airbnb and focusing on the valuation, um, that, you know, or, or excuse, when we're focusing on the valuation, what I mean is we've been, we've liked the company. I think you'd agree with me there, but yeah. we're a little bit skeptical about the valuation. This is disappointing because we hope kind of they've had, you know, as the stock's gone up here, we've hoped that they would have like one bad report and the stock would tank and we kind of get a chance to buy, but that has not materialized yet. No. And maybe the thing that stood out to me the most, and I saw a lot of people quote this, they said, um, Compared to 2019, our headcount is down 5%, while our revenue is up 75%. There, I can't think of any other company where that's the situation, especially any other tech company, um, big tech company, say it. So, I mean, it's, I, I, I think I, I used to have some bad takes about Brian Chesky. I used to say, like, I don't know, something rubs me the wrong way. I was wrong. This guy is incredible um, and they do a remarkable job. And and they're still kind of facing headwinds in Asia too. That's still, you know. They pulled out of China this year. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the rest of Asia. At least the focused. domestic business. So like they're, they, uh, the hosting business, but obviously there's people in China that can book outside of China, that kind of thing. But right. um, 
it's no, I mean, my only concern would potentially be some sort of consumer pullback in travel, some sort of lack of affordability causing average daily rates to come down. But st- like when I look at this thing 10 years out, just my gut reaction is I don't see how this is not a big, like a substantially bigger business. People like listing a room is becoming like a very normal part of culture in North America, listing a room in your house. Like it's not that crazy, which I don't know, blows my mind. It also gives me a little bit of optimism for Turo, which is kind of the premier ride sharing platform. I know it's slightly different, but it gives like I would I would have been skeptical in whatever you said, wait, 2010. Me, you said ride sharing just for the listeners, so, car sharing. Right. Yeah, car sharing. It's like I would have been skeptical about sharing your own property or whatever in, in like 10 years ago, but this has really kind of given me some validation that it's uh it's doable and these marketplaces can really succeed. I would be, I don't know. Is it what's do you have any concerns here aside from no. well, valuation has probably jumped a lot, but I mean, I couldn't you see this doing, I don't know, $15 billion in revenue in, in five years and more than five or six billion in free cash flow? Yes, I could. I think I said once that I wouldn't be surprised if it's doing, you know, $200 billion in GBV, which is gross booking value. Uh, yeah, and the big concern I had was. ADRs, which is the average daily rate across their platform. And they've had a little bit of slowdown, but they've really grown through it. So in, and it's only been quarter over quarter so far. So in Q4 2022, average daily rate was $153. And then in Q3, it was $156. I would be rarely interested to see what happens with that throughout the full year, because even if if it stays flat and inflation is still high across the world, that's showing kind of a deterioration on a real basis of the ADR, but they do have a nice chart on stratosphere that I'll pull up. If what what, what are your thoughts on that, Ryan? Well, on the ADR thing, because it seems like infl- if inflation is high, we shouldn't say it's going to go back to like the 2019 level. If you get what I mean? Yeah, and there was, I mean, even Chesky said kind of like you could expect ADRs to potentially come down. He said we anticipate slightly lower ADR than we had in Q1 of 2022 for this next upcoming quarter, um, and. Uh, the other part he what? says here is for the remainder of the year, we expect ADR will face increasing downward pressure from mix shift. What? I was going to say, sorry, sorry. Uh, I was going to pull up the screen and say I was wrong about the ADR being just last quarter. It's been um, basically a full year so far. If I'm sharing the screen here, we saw a huge bump during pan- the pandemic. There is some seasonality, I guess, but now it's kind of trending back downwards a bit. And they're still they're still growing that revenue. Revenue. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the, the other thing that I really liked is they started to roll out this rentals business or this like uh what's uh, apartments business. So um, I know they only have like 175 apartments available right now, but you know, you've experienced this where last year you were renting out your apartment or you were renting out of an apartment and you went to Mexico for two months during that time if your apartment had been Airbnb accepting or whatever, you could have rented it out, paid for your entire trip and covered your rent by Airbnb in that thing. And I mean, that just seems like such a 
like a massive opportunity to go after that I, I think they're, they're right in doing it. And it also has this, so it's good. More supply comes online. So there'll be more active listings potentially. Um, apartments feel incentivized to be Airbnb accepting because uh, it will increase the likelihood that people want to rent from you because they know that they have better chance of affording it by being able to rent it out, that kind of thing. Um, it's great for the actual renters themselves because they can afford it. It just seems like a win, win, win all across the board. Um, and I, I, I don't know that, that it, they consistently find a way to like expand their addressable market and expand their active listings. Yeah. And what's interesting is that they are facing, I mentioned headwinds from international. That's really just kind of a short-term thing as Asia, you know, hopefully comes, you know, fully recovered from COVID-19, but they are still facing multiple headwinds from just the, the regulatory stuff across all the cities with, you know, who can list on Airbnb. And if they didn't have that, I think they would be growing even quicker. But I think on the flip side, you know, the bullish part of that would be over time, you should hopefully just because consumers want this, see steady demand over and over, or excuse me, steady supply unlock from these regulatory changes where like that apartment thing where I think it was what, 175 apartments across the country. So across the United States, so not that many, but you can see how that could grow over time. And yeah, I mean, it's just a great business. As, as we sit here today to wrap up this segment, at a market cap of $74 billion, uh, say, yeah. uh, EV, according to Stratosphere here, $68.6 billion. So let's just say $69 billion. 69 divided by three and a half billion in free capital, right? Is what, 3.4? Yeah. 20 times trailing? I think, yeah. There's I no think, way that's right. Hold on. Uh, I think one th- one, their free cash flow can get changed because of the, the bookings. You know how the people will pay the money up front. So I'm going to look Oh, they've at, got like the working capital benefit. Yeah. So let me look at operating income. Um, yeah. And then they got the little stock-based comp, uh, a decent amount of stock-based comp. Trailing yeah. 12 months operating income is, I think, $1.6 billion. Yeah, possibly, possibly. No, that's that's slightly no, behind. That's not because yeah, it's not up Yeah, let me. I I can get it. I can get it. Full year. It, I don't like to use their adjusted EBITDA because they're heavy SBC. Okay, before uh, you look at it, before you before you do the math. Okay. What multiple would you say this is going to the top of the watch list? Where it gets interesting, quote unquote. Yeah. I say. I think this is one where about 25 times I'd get interested and it really got, it it got to there because typically we kind of look for, unless it's something that's super high quality where we think they can grow forever, which is very, very few companies or not forever, but you know, grow at a high rate for many years. We, we like stuff that at least, you know, if it's going to, we think it has a competitive advantage, maybe around 20 times earnings or less. But for this one, I think this is kind of one of the few where I think it can grow a lot for, uh, for a long time. Uh, I have it up here, 1.8 billion income from operations in 2022. So what would 20, let's just say it's 2 billion um, times 2.5 would be a market cap of about $45 billion. I think I'm doing that math right. Um, so I think, yeah, so between, the, you know, more, the EV to operating income is probably like 
a little north of 30 right now. Yeah. And what's unfortunate is that uh, it got into the 25 times range in December for a quick period. Uh, but yeah. and you know what? During that time, we said, this is this is a perfect example of, unless you really know the business well, price drives narrative. We yeah. were like, oh, well, what about a travel pullback? What about the Airbnb ADR, ADRs compressing? The supply stuff that people have been talking about, the oversupply, the ADR uh, collapse that everyone... Let me, yes. let me pose this. We, we talked about how real estate, and we're going to talk about Zillow here in a second. Real estate, we think, is in for a difficult period with potentially prices coming down. What if this is... What if Airbnb is a beneficiary of that? What if they more people need to rent out a room to afford their homes? Well, yeah, some people might be stuck in those low, uh, and it's not like a bad thing because they got a nice deal on their mortgages, but they might be stuck in that 3% mortgage that they've refinanced. I do not know the percentage of the country that's on that, but if they have that, they could, you know, if they're moving somewhere, they might be like, okay, instead of getting a condo somewhere, we could Airbnb a place for three months and then come and then rent out our own place kind of deal instead of fully selling because they don't want to take that loss if housing prices are um, either there's no demand because housing prices are so high or on the flip side, housing prices are falling. Um, we got a comment here. I haven't read it yet. Magic Room, Airbnb are both platform businesses, but can we say not all platforms are created equal, at least in terms of profit slash scalability? Good question from Sandeep. I yeah, that's an interesting one. Where here's, I think, okay, one any of the platform businesses or say marketplace businesses that are online only that do not have their own supply, like say an open door or inventory kind of deal, you should be able to have very 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 strong margins if you do not require tons of marketing expenses, like a lot of maybe the other travel OTAs have. You see Match Group, you see uh, even kind of a bumble at some points. I know they're still kind of developing with with their growth. You see someone like Airbnb. I'm trying to think of other marketplaces. I mean, Zillow's core marketplace, although they continue Uber, the core marketplace. I mean, here's the difference. They all should have really strong margins. And I think some might have better competitive advantages than others like Airbnb might have a slightly stronger one than Uber just because the, you could get attacked locally if you're Uber. Um, but Uber's is still very strong and it's, it's gotten much stronger than I thought over you know a few years back it would get. But they should have really strong margins. And we've seen Airbnb here, you know, okay, we really scaled back our headcount. We overhired. And if you have a good business, if you have a good marketplace, you can really, really expand your margins. And I think Airbnb's margins could even go up. Match Group has strong margins as well, um, but it compared to someone like Uber and who's the other one you mentioned, Zillow, who have all these other initiatives, who have all these things like, you know, Airbnb. They really got rid of all those other stuff during the COVID, which actually helped them a ton. And they, I don't know, when they streamlined the business, if you got insanely profitable, I just kind of wish Uber would do the same thing. I hope I answered that question, but I, I think profit like- should be the profits should be the same depending on your marketing needs. Because that's really the only yeah. cost here. Yeah, I agree. Because I mean, you, wait, I mean especially once the, the platform's like up and running, like obviously and, you've got to develop the platform, but 
Yeah, ex- exactly. But it's really not as if you can really scale it up internationally, it's not that much. I mean, that that fixed overhead is fairly, really small. And the the key thing here, I think, versus say a software as a service company is that you do not need a direct sales staff. Your headcount as a percentage of revenue, or you know, it should just in general, should be lower. Yeah, you got to spend a lot of marketing. Yeah, you have to have some marketing employees, but you do not need to hire a thousand direct sales teams that you have to, you know, give a bunch of bonuses to in stock-based compensation. Yeah, it's the other thing is I I think I'm getting to the point where I like platforms that don't have theoretical theoretically high margins they have high margins already wait for them to get there yeah it's kind of like the i don't know like if you've proved like a platform especially like a two-sided platform or or like a marketplace works really well at scale airbnb is a perfect example where you want to put your listing on there because there's so many potential renters or um you know uh customers and then the customers want to go to airbnb because there's so many potential listings that works great but if you're subscale, then you got to do all the you got to pour all the money into marketing, and you kind of like are, are constantly bumping up against that ceiling. So it uh, to me, I think like I I, w- I would probably be more open to owning the pl- platforms that are already really profitable because I know that they can benefit from their own scale. Yeah, and it gives them more flexibility. It's yeah, it's interesting. And speaking of another one, you want to hit Zillow. Yeah, this is, uh, I don't know, this quarter was bleh. It was, I mean, they kind of are running into just like headwinds of the real estate market in general. They do better than probably the rest of the market. But this is one we visited a couple of times and it it feels like a business that's really not run for the shareholders. They, they, They pull new ways to lose money out of their ass every year. And it blows my mind. I don't know why they do it because their premier agent business does well. Like that's the classic um, marketplace. It's a good, like it's a good platform, but um, I don't know. The quarter was okay. Um, the, they had uh, declining revenues as you'd expect. Um, I think it, like the internet media technology. So that really the premier agent business had, it was like mid-teens revenue declines. Um, but what really got hung up here was they lost a lot of money in their mortgages segment. So something that they've been trying to do is sort of add on mortgages to, you know, if you're transacting through a home or let's say you find like um, an agent or something, you can uh, request a mortgage through Zillow. And then I think they sell the mortgage into the secondary market. Um, but that's been declining basically this whole year. So last year, yeah. And that's because mortgage demand has collapsed, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like even more so for them. I don't know if it's like they offer a shitty product or something, but $18 million in mortgage revenue, that's down 65% year over year. They're losing before taxes, $51 million in that segment, which just like shrink the size of the business. Like you don't need to, for something that's only generating $18 million in revenue, why do you need to lose $51 million? Just get rid of it. Like it's yeah. not, it's not, it does not contribute that much to the business. Um, like for reference, internet media and technology does 
like 400 something million in revenue. So it's, yeah, I've got it right here. Uh, 417 million in revenue this quarter. The mortgages did 18 million, but it's, it has a ridiculous amount of losses. Like you don't, you just don't need that. Um, the part that concerned me is like the hypocrisy from this business. So, um, or from the management team. So there's a point that I was reading through this letter that they have a shareholder letter. Um, and he basically said, we're, I don't know, we're different. Uh, let me just keyword it. Our story is different. Yeah. They're, All right. built, he, they're built different. That's what he said. Yeah. So he says, from our perspective, it's clear that this past year we were simultaneously navigating the past and organizing for the future. Now we are fully eyes forward. 2023 is a consequential year for us, and it is all about making progress on our initiatives through product launches, market rollouts, so we can further expand and scale in 2024. Here's the part that's interesting. We see the same headlines you all see about tech companies cutting back their workforces to make up for staffing to accommodate unsustainable pandemic level growth that is now normalizing. Our story is different. After a year, they fired, in October, they fired 5% of their staff. Yeah, so they're doing the same thing as everyone else. I mean, they bubbled into the, they, they became bag holders on the eye buying stuff. They just bought into that. Yeah, I mean. They were the first ones here. to leave that, but they went from 8,000 employees to like 5,000 over the last year. And how's their story any different? They've done yeah. it. Maybe they did it a quarter earlier. Does that make you really that much different? Yeah, I don't know. And if we, yeah, we look at this chart here, I mean, it's pretty telling. Like they're, if you just look at their gross profit, Compound annual growth rate since December 2013. So almost a full decade at this point um, through the end of this year, I believe. A compound annual growth rate of 27.5%. I mean, really, really good. However, they've never generated positive operating income. On uh, When they had gross profit of $583 million in 2015, it was only, they had a negative $150 million loss and over the last 12 months, it's been a negative $93 million operating loss on gross profit of $1.6 I mean, it's just not great. It's just not great. You got to, you know. No, and they find, they're, they're like big said, enough, they they're find big enough to lose money. Yeah, they're the, big enough where it's just this management team is just, it's not. Let's go to the acquisitions. That you could, yeah, well, that's, that's, a, uh, that's a disappointing. Over the last several years, they acquired postlets. We don't know the price. Diverse Solutions, Street Easy, Trulia, Naked Apartments, Showing Time. This quarter, they acquired ZMX Media, I think is what it's called. It's a photographer network that's meant to be like help people post their houses on Zillow. How much money do you think they've earned just purely through acquisitions? Probably all the cash, like they could. I don't, I mean, it gets consolidated, so it's hard to say like what that does, like what it's actually done within the business. But a lot of those I imagine are not that valuable to the business today. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. The, it the seems other part, like it's the same old, same old story. We covered them on a not so deep dive, I believe within the last year, if not, maybe a little while ago. And that these are the same concerns we had then are appearing again now. Um, so I don't think we should expect it to change this. Here's the other part that just like kind of 
solidifies my belief, I guess, in the real estate market. And maybe there's a way that I'm wrong here, but I just don't see how. I mean, it seems fairly predictable, honestly. They said housing affordability challenges were the story of 2022 and remain front and center as we begin 2023. Affordability doesn't just impact demand, it also impacts supply. Um, for, for homeowners, it's simply more expensive to move than to stay put right now, leaving more could-be movers on the sidelines. Just look at the mortgages business. Like mortgages, it, it feels am I wrong to think this is really simple that mortgages and applications for mortgages are declining rapidly because people can't afford homes. They can't afford them with higher interest rates, obviously. So either home prices stay exactly where they're at and they wait for the median income to catch up in, in five, six, seven years. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. prices come down. Or rates yeah. come down, but rates aren't coming down. So prices have to come down or it's this waiting game with no home transactions for the next five to six years. So I just don't see, I don't know. It kind of just solidifies my belief that home prices have to come down a little bit. I do think at this point. On a real basis, they have to come down on a real basis, which they have been um, over the last six months because they kind of been flat and inflation has been high, but still again, affordabilities. Affordability is low. Yeah. Let me just do some math here. So for anyone that thinks home prices aren't going to go down. All right. If you had a safe, this is just an example, $425,000 house, standard 30-year mortgage, 20% down payment. At a 3% mortgage interest rate, your total monthly payment estimated, according to bank rate, is $1,779. If you change that to 7%, it's $2,600. So basically $800 a month in difference. There's not that wiggle room in the economy, especially among the young people purchasing their first homes. Either people are going to stop spending on everything else or home prices are going to go down or we're going to have a credit. Something has to give here. Yeah. And I know, I guess one of the other arguments is that home equity has is the highest it's been in the US maybe ever. So people, you know, people own a greater percentage of their home. Like the average home, there's a higher percentage of ownership versus, you know, 2008 time period. So a lot of people are probably reluctant to sell because they think, well, I, you know, I got a bid for $500,000 two years ago. And now people are quoting me 420000 or something like that. Why would I do that? I can just wait another two years. And, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm going to get, the old bid, I think it takes time probably to rationalize that you're just not going to get that bid. Um, yeah, it's going to be the bias, you know, the classic biases will be there, the anchoring bias, all that good stuff. We can't, it's always there. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, uh, I feel like a doomer here by saying this, but doesn't it seem like pretty predictable? Like, if people can't afford them, if if people are committing 50% of their paycheck to their mortgage and it used to be 30%, maybe you could say that's the new normal, but that's going to have ripple effects across the rest of the economy because there's less money to spend elsewhere. Exactly. So just, yeah. Yeah. Pick or choose what you want, but. um, All right. Zillow, Zillow market cap, market caps, 10.6 billion EVs similar according to stratosphere here. Um, says i don't think they're priced and we can't really do a good like i don't have any good metrics we gotta get those red flags on amazon those mini red flags when 
something shows That's right. up. Take away yeah, the uh, they are cheap. It's like ten bucks for um, the soccer ones, which will pick the red cards. Kind of yeah, for a Zoom call. But what market cap? Because you know, at any price, you know, stock gets interesting. Eventually, you get down to below the asset value. At what market cap would you be interested in Zillow with? It's current management in place say they're going to still be there. Like they're not changing. No, it would take, I mean, it got, it got there at one point. Like if you would have had, I, you know, you could say two times IMT revenue. It's not that far above. I mean, how much the business worth that ever generates cash? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The there's a, there uh, isn't a price, right? Yeah, I mean it was at forty eight dollars a share, and it was it is at today, and it got down to around say just below thirty a few times. It's really not that far off the highs. I think like I'd be interested in like a. I think with this management team who I just disliked, um, I think four to five billion dollar market cap. I'm interested in doing some work, but all right, Ryan, you're shaking your head. You say no. never. This is one you just don't touch, huh? I used to think there's a price for everything, yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know, if it can be as shitty as it, it can be the worst business in the world, but if if it's cheap enough, I'll buy it, that kind of thing. Like, no. I, it it's got to be, well, so you're saying- There are a bunch below. of companies that I would never buy. If, if, I, if I firmly believe that they don't care about generating cash and I'm not able to take over the business and- if I'm not able to buy the whole thing, I'm just a minority shareholder, then there shouldn't, it's not really that, it's not worth buying it. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Where, okay, you can say eventually, you know, Zillow, and it might not be the best metric to use, but eventually, you know, it, it could go below book value. And you could be like, wow, Zillow, trading below book value, internet business. But if they're going to destroy book value, then it's probably worth less as they've continued to do. Although I don't know if book value is higher or lower. Uh, it, it basically, if they're going to destroy intrinsic value per share, which right now it's nothing, um, they're going to continue to destroy it. Then, yeah, I mean, it, what is it worth? You, you could have the cheapest stock in the world, and if they're destroying capital, it's just not going to work over time. Either And it, what's crazy, and this is why management matters so much to us now, or you know, we've kind of learned to really have that be so important for us over the last few years is we would much rather have say a business that's quote unquote, not competitive, not a huge competitive advantage or not, you know, this perfect thing, but if it's trading at four or five times earnings with a management team, we think, you know, is going to allocate capital rationally, then there could be some real, real opportunities there because that can make a stock work real quick, especially if they turn their earnings into cash flow. Yeah. And I mean, if you just get the sense that like the management team doesn't care about growing, like if if they just are shareholders, but they constantly get new options, they're constantly selling stock, they're pretty rich already, you know, they're happy with their life and they they care probably more about influence and like having sort of a good reputation with their company and and, you know, being this. I don't know, just getting bigger at any cost, that kind of thing. Like that's not someone I want to partner with. And it's pretty clear who are like truly shareholder friendly allocators because you can just look at their history. And yeah, look at the action. I mean, Zillow like, isn't one. Compare Zillow and Uber, 
to Airbnb. Airbnb used to be in that camp. Remember, they talked about it. It, it. There was a huge change and it took a pandemic that wiped out their demand by 90% to get them there, but they got there and now um, they found that religion. And yeah. All right. I think that's you know enough talking on the new topic. Oh, we got a comment here again from Sandeep. Thank you for support, you know, uh being one of the five watching. Uh gotta give him a little credit for pulling out of eye buying, at least earlier than Redfin, open door, you know, probably going to zero. I would say the base case should be open doors going to zero. Uh anyone has a good I've never heard a good argument against them, against that. You're just flipping houses, and if housing prices go down, you're it's over. Uh yeah, I guess you could say Zillow is good pulling out of the eye buying business first, but it's kind of and you know, you know, a company we know well is Spotify. They have that same issue of going into businesses that are trendy at the time within their industry. And it's kind of like saying, okay, they bought that tiny clubhouse competitor and started it. And now we're going to just kind of throw it to the wayside um, and give up on it. And it's like, yeah, you probably should have seen that it wasn't going to be a big thing. And yeah, it's not going to be giant shareholder destruction versus Zillow's who you know lost a lot more money than they did. But I don't think we should give them too much credit because if you really know the real estate business, if you really know online real estate as Zillow should be the number one you know expert in that, you should have known that it wasn't going to work. Yeah. I mean, the, it is, I, I, that was kind of my thought initially too, was like, whoa, they, you know, they got out of it before everyone else. But then when you just like really think about the actual business itself by buying, especially for people that know the real estate business well, as Brett mentioned, you should have known this was a, and, and people did, like people knew this was a bad business from the start because they, you're getting, you're, you're throwing in low ball offers, which means you're probably getting the worst assets to begin with. If people are selling you, the whole thing is margin of safety, right? On the iBuying business. So you're trying to buy the worst or, or at the cheapest rate you can under market so that you can turn around in 30 days and resell it. If you're, if someone's, especially in an up market, if someone's taking your bid on a low ball offer, there's something wrong with that house. Probably. If you, now you could say maybe like it's a liquidity thing and people want to get rid of it fast, but how many people do you really know they're trying to get rid of their house in like 10 days? Who can't? Um, yeah, no one cares that it takes two months for them to get out of a house at the fastest. Yeah. And then you've got all that upkeep costs. I think people were under, you know, every I buy businesses. Every I buy. Go ahead. Holding the inventory on the balance sheet. I was going to say. Yeah, you either. I mean, potentially you have a declining market where you're holding the inventory and you're getting less bids for the houses you offer. But um, on top of it, even in an increase in market, if you're if people are buying your offers, then you're probably getting bad assets. You're getting bad homes that you have to turn around. Maybe the occasional one is just them trying to get out of it quick. But I would say that's kind of an edge case. Yeah, I agree. And it took me a while to really understand Open Door's business model because I kept overthinking it. But after thinking about it a little bit more and then watching margin call, I think again, where I was like, Oh, it's the same thing. They have these assets on their balance sheet that create real risk. And if they become lower in value with the leverage they put on now, they didn't put as much leverage on as say Lehman brothers, but either way, if the asset values go down as they have, and I think they've lost you know money on so many of their homes 
It's not, the business model doesn't work because you're basically just becoming a house flipper at scale. So you're really just betting on housing prices rising with much, much more overhead than an individual buyer. And it just, it, it made zero sense from the start. Yeah, I think like maintenance and rehabbing costs are a really big part of this business to understand. I think a lot of the iBuying businesses kind of overlooked that. But we've been talking on this for probably too long. Do you want to talk about Upstart? Because this Upstart could be fun. Yeah, Upstart could be fun. I saw the stock was up though, but although I looked and then I kind of did the zoom out thing on, uh, you know, like last five days, it's up 20%. Over the last six months, it's down 45. And over the last year, it's down 86. I was like, oh, well, it's not really been that good for them. But yeah, well, I didn't look at the quarter at all. What happened? Was it really bad? Yeah, I mean, technically, they beat guidance. It seemed like they had like kind of sandbag guidance or whatever. Um, but their their upcoming guidance or their outlook was like, I think, Brad Freeman. Uh, friend Stock of the market show. nerd. Friend, yeah. Yeah he used a good term to describe it as putrid. And I think that's probably a good, uh, I think that's a good description. It was basically they're guiding for, I think it was minus 68% revenue growth in this quarter. You can see what's happening to the revenue and the contribution profit, but some of the more concerning things are like the amount of loans they're personally having to own or hold on their balance sheet. So, uh, Year over year, the number or the dollar value of loans that Upstart has on its own balance sheet, because typically, for those that don't know, Upstart was, they're meant to attract the borrowers. They offer these credit ratings or they offer these lending terms to the borrowers, the borrowers accept. Um, hey, Upstart are you saying maybe, you know, are you, are you saying you know what the business model is, Ryan? I, I, I do. I'm like, uh, I'm not going not gonna to say his name, but uh, they, they'll take those loans and they'll sell them into the sort of the secondary market. Other companies, other financial institutions will kind of take the actual credit risk. However, this quarter, um, Upstart recorded a billion dollars in loans on its own balance sheet. That was up 4X from last year. So what about Q over quarter over quarter you had that or no up 310 million so it was 700 million last quarter they are this is like a it's just a different investment you you have to really believe that i mean they're now taking the credit risk so you have to believe that these loans are super high quality it was pretty easy at the start to say who cares if the loans are low quality they're not the ones taking the financial risk or whatever obviously you know the institutions probably stop giving them money, but at the end of the day, if there's some big catastrophic event, they're not the ones that get ruined for it. Now there's that risk. Um, so yeah. I don't I, like to me, and not all of them are the consumer loans. I saw that there's like a different breakdown, but still more than they or uh, the company guided for to to take onto their balance sheet are consumer loans. So um, it sounds to me like less financial institutions are willing to take these loans. That's not surprising in a higher interest rate environment, but I think uh, buyback capital who we recently had on the show described it well, which is this just doesn't, this kind of model doesn't fare well in an adverse environment because they are trying to lend to the people that are 
historically hard to lend to. Whereas you take someone like FICO, who is trying to be as conservative as possible and lend to the people that are clearly lendable. So, or I mean, they're not lending, but score, they're, they're trying to be very conservative on the credit determinations. Um, I'm just trying to find reasons to kind of take the edge cases and, and make money on them. It just, that's a much riskier model when rates skyrocket. I don't know. This quarter looked bad and then the stock jumped 25% the next day. So, yeah, it's just that EPS stuff. I've also heard when, murmurs of something like a short squeeze or something like that. So, uh, that's, we don't dabble in that. Uh, how, how uh, I hear, yeah, I heard, I saw, I've seen they have high short interest, but you know. Yeah, I don't know. That just means it's going to go. If if it's a short squeeze, it means it's just going to go down. Do uh, what do you think of? Did you read the Roblox quarter at all? No, but I want to share screen screen quick on Upstart, uh, showing a little stratosphere chart. This is, I think, because when you look at the numbers on the table, you know, you can kind of convince yourself and go through things. I mean, we we all do it. Uh, and when you can visualize each quarter or each whatever metric you're doing and kind of say, oh, things are trailing, trending in the wrong direction. Um, as we've seen, you know, there's a reason upstart stock is way down. It's because revenue has gone from uh, quarterly revenue in December 2021 was 300 million. First quarter of last year, 310 million. And now in the Q3, which they haven't updated this in Stratosphere yet because it's too early. Um, it's only been like a day. Q3 revenue was only 157 million. What do you have for Q4, Ryan? Less. It's less, and the guidance is less too. So it's it's continuing to decelerate. But the other part that concerns me is cash provided by operating activities was cash flow provided by operating activities for 2022 was negative. $675 million. Is some of that working capital or no? Maybe, but a lot of it's also just hemorrhaging money and, and stock cop uh, or just hemorrhaging money in general, purchases of loans. So I don't know. It's a complicated financial statement, but the uh, I can't do it on the fly. The They're burning through cash is yeah. just the way to look at it. Um, and even if they're burning through less cash, they're still burning cash, even if you take like the most optimistic scenario. They're buying back stock this quarter. Really? They well, repurchase they stock. In, they believe in themselves, I guess. This could you know, this could be the trough. Who knows? Who knows? What's the market cap right now? I'm to seeing one, like, 1. Uh, 1. 1.6 billion. Who knows? This could be a $10 billion business. I guess we could look like fools. Um uh, but I'm okay with that. It just to me, like, um, I I started, I used to think like, oh, they're buying back stock. Great. That's a great sign. But I think a lot of businesses, it'd be better for them to have the cash. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not a perfect metric for Bed the, Bath the, and Beyond. Uh, yes, exactly. And other, Maybe and other bad anyways, but yeah. Um, All right. Roblox last one. Sears did that too. Yeah. Roblox. Yep, Sears. Is, this is a pretty good quarter, I guess. The daily active users, I saw some like someone online, like uh they said revenue was basically flat. It was a terrible quarter, but they had the uh, bookings thing, right? How bookings? <laughs> bookings were up 17% year for year. So okay. Uh yeah, solid quarter all around. I thought daily active users 
in January, which I guess wasn't included in the quarter, but they gave the numbers anyways, 65 million average daily active users. I find that kind of astounding. Um, up 19% year over year. The bookings per DAU was basically flat in January. It was actually down on a constant or on a reported currency basis in the quarter, but basically everything's looking good. My only concern here is they've very clearly said we're going to keep investing in our infrastructure. So they, they built their own data center, I think somewhere on the East coast. Um, they have invested a lot in engineering talent. Um, they just don't, I don't know. They don't seem to care that much about shareholders is my, when, when I look through this, it kind of like, it just doesn't seem like shareholders are their first priority. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard because for one, they have a giant market opportunity. They continue to outpace the broader video game market. They want to build this quote unquote metaverse stuff and it's going to take a lot of investment and they do not need to spend that much if I'm aware of on sales and marketing. So you, there could be a time when they get a sort of R&D moat, which I know are kind of tough to come by. Um, where they've spent so much on all this engineering talent and, and you know the cloud, whatever, all their infrastructure that they built, and that could make them much, much better than any sort of upstart competitor. But on the flip side, yeah, you know, they might not be profitable for they might be break even for a long time. Um they do have like three billion in cash. So yeah. And they've proven that they can generate cash if they pull back a bit, which I like. I just, uh, it's a little, I could see them being such a big business. It's just one where I kind of throw up my hands and say, I have no insight into what their market will look like five years from now. How many people in India, how many people in Australia are going to be picking up Roblox? How many kids are going to do it? How many 24 year olds are going to start playing 17 to 24 year olds, 17 to 24 year olds were their fastest growing age demographic. I know I see that now, but I wonder what kind of the the ceiling of that is. Is it lower? Is it higher? I mean, it's just because those are going to be their bread and butter from a spending perspective. Uh, yeah. Would be the young adults who can spend more than let's say fifty dollars of allowance uh, uh, a dad gives their you know child for Roblox a month. Here, you want me to scare you? Two billion dollars in revenue, twenty twenty two. Obviously, bookings probably the more important figure, but whatever. Yeah, it's just a lagging metric. Um, 600 million in stock-based compensation. Whoa, that's high. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's like a quarter of revenue. Yeah. We, we got to incentivize our people. That's what the, what do they all say? We got to incentivize Don't you think it's like a bad incentive though? I know. If yes. you give them a bunch of stock and then potentially the stock tanks, like. Uh, yeah. I think it's, it's I think like it's, a backwards incentive. Yeah. What they probably the, have yeah. very, very low motivation to work. I, yeah, all these executive teams, not all, but so many that we look at have compensation consultant derangement syndrome. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty lame. I think. What, uh, let's talk Munger. We got 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Crip or excuse me, daily journal annual meeting. Um, he continues to, I wouldn't say go off the rails, but not really care what he says. Cause he did say the old, <laughs> He said something like the old Coca-Cola CEO was showing up drunk and the business was still good. And he's like, 
you know, that's a damn good business if the CEO is so, showing up drunk. And I was like, all right, well, that's yeah. interesting. You just added that guy. And he said something about, uh, hey, look, he's 99. He said some things that I was like, is he saying something racist right now? But uh, yeah, he used a word yeah. that I'm not familiar with. It is not racist, but it's definitely out of like the, the word. Yeah, look, he, he's that not. Word in it, but it did not mean anything racist. It meant like. Yeah, look, it's 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 generous. Yeah, I'm surprised. You know, I'm, su- I'm surprised people don't talk about you know in kind of the general world don't ever get up in arms about him. But maybe it's just he's too nation. We kind of follow him, and no one really follows him. Either way, besides that, I think again he was asked about crypto, and he's getting even more negative about it. He called it, and this was such a funny. This is something a grandpa would do. He starts laughing after he says it. He calls it crypto crapo, which he was like, ha ha ha, so funny. It's it's. It's really not that funny, but uh, he thought he was clever. He's uh, very old. Yeah, he is old. The, I'm guessing it probably plays well the you know retirement communities. Um, yeah, I mean, he said the same stuff about crypto. He said that the government should ban it, and he, he almost choked his, when uh, Becky Quick said they own Disney because they, he did, doesn't. Yeah, he's. They're like you. You've owned Disney at the daily journal or whatever and he was i think he was like eating peanut brittle and he like started like coughing and choking um and he's like we've never owned disney so it almost sounded like he was like disgusted at the at the thought of owning disney but uh no, no he yeah, talked I mean, about they disney had for a while that was pretty interesting yeah um no they're facing a lot of competition we'll see if they can come out of it the yeah berkshire has i think that's probably where she was confused one thing though the man did you watch the whole thing? No, well, the man loves China. He loves them. Every time he would say something like, oh, in China, they're doing this. Oh, in China, the people are like this. And it's like, look, <laughs> he, he loves it. That's all I'll say. But he talked about BYD uh, being better than Tesla. I think it's kind of you know, an under the radar company that Berkshire took an investment in. They're crushing the EV market in China and kind of expanding globally. And they really have some of that, you know, battery tech and all, all that stuff, all that good stuff. Do you think, and he was the first one to admit that, you know, his, he said as well, his Alibaba investment was the worst one he's ever made. Do you think having an investment in BYD, basically the best technology company in China, clouds Munger's judgment about the rest of the country because it'd be kind of like if you were from China, you come to America in 2005 and you make a giant investment in Apple and that's kind of the company you have a giant relationship with. And you're like, wow, this place is amazing. Like these people can do, you know, nothing wrong. And the, you know, BYD from all intents and purposes probably has some of the best engineering talent, the best technological talent, research talent in the world. But that doesn't mean, I don't know. It seems like, you, you know, you can kind of get clouded by the 1% of the world you see versus the 99% else that's out there. So I kind of think that, you know, that that could yeah. be something with there. But he did, you know, he did. Be, I, I really don't get why people are so upset about Baba. I guess I would be maybe upset about people just blindly following him because it seemed like a lot of people started doing that, big investors and small. Saw a lot of 13 Fs with Alibaba in it. And he kind of just went, he had no grips, no excuses. He just said, yeah, it was a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. And then he was like, yeah, moved on. 
Yeah, I am, uh, I think it's impressive. I I mean, there's maybe BYD clouds his judgment on China. I, I think his love for Lilu probably uh, yeah, helps yeah. too. Um, the other thing is, I mean, if you look at like just the productive, like production growth in China over the last 40 years, it's hard not to be like impressed with the results. Over the long term, yeah. Yeah, who but knows? That we, was also because be I remember it was... Uh, I forget where I was reading it, but like they had a pretty low base because whoever was the uh, ruler before was kind of trying to prohibit. He may have been very, very bad and caused 10 million people to die. Yeah. Or more. No, I think it was 50 million from like the farm stuff they were trying with agriculture. It was was bad. Yeah. He was very anti, like, I I guess, uh, research and development. It seemed like, um, yeah. What, what was so? Once they turned that on, there was just a lot of, I think, latent productive capacity or human ingenuity that they could tap into. But um, yeah, I'm not sure what his fascination is there. He, I, I did see a stat though. BYD apparently Munger said that their two hundred seventy thousand dollar investment in BYD is now worth eight or nine billion dollars. Yeah. They're getting better returns than Musk and Tesla, which is funny. That's wild. 33,000x? Yeah, and I think they put in more over time if I'm not, but I also could be wrong. I do not follow that part of the business closely. And there's people that follow Berkshire a lot closely, closer than me. Or was he talking about Daily Journal? I'm not sure. No, not Daily Journal, because Daily Journal's not. They're, they're a small cap. What a... Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I watch these things and I think like, yeah, Charlie's smart, but maybe we ought to stop listening to him at this age. Yeah, I know. Like, I, I, was, kind of funny, I love listening but... to like him, the early Berkshire meetings in his speeches that he's given. I, I mean, you can obviously tell he's like one of the, I think, probably smartest Americans to live. But uh, at some point, 99 years old is 99 years old. <laughs> Yeah, I got yeah, and they ask the same questions over and over. Like, what is your morning routine? It's like he's like, I get out and get in the wheelchair. Yeah. What what uh someone asked him about how do you live a long life? And he said, I never exercise and I eat peanut brittle all day. I was like, Yeah, why are you asking this man that? He sits down all day and eats candy. He's an he's an anomaly. Yeah. And uh I think him and him and Buffett are both anomalies. Yeah, impressive maybe he, for sure. Yeah, it is so, hilarious sometimes to see the people that have like like dedicate their every waking moment to trying to live long, and it's just like kind of like a not a great way to live. But they're living for a long time, and then you see it's like Buffett and Munger. Yeah, but uh, what uh, what about Roku earnings? We got like two minutes overall thoughts i let me pull up the letter let me just give the overview numbers active accounts up 16 percent year over year hit 70 million streaming hours grew quarter over quarter and year over year year over year 23 percent. so everything looks fine there but the monetization is slowed down platform gross profit which is their advertising slash services software services segment gross profit down four percent year over year in the quarter and platform revenue was only up 5% in the quarter. I think the fears for Roku 
on monetization on how that we kind of had and a lot of other people had and we kind of came to this conclusion later luckily is that they're not they just didn't execute well on the monetization strategy i mean they've executed somewhat well i mean the business kind of came from a you know scratch five to seven years ago on that side but it's stalled yeah. out the last year or two yeah i always think like man this has like obviously a ton of potential but it's just too hard of a problem to solve where like it's really tough to say whether they're going to have a whole lot of like platform leverage over the big media providers. Are they going to get, are they going to constantly get squeezed because, you know, maybe you're never going to see the cash flow if that's the case. They yeah, could be in every yeah. house in America and, and maybe they just don't have the, uh, the negotiating leverage. Yep. How many accounts do they need to get? Is it 200 million before they get that leverage? Who knows? All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Ryan, anything else before we head out of here? Uh, there's your uh, there's your earnings palooza. I know we probably missed a bunch, but hopefully. There are a lot out there. Yeah. Um, we, won't, we won't bore people with earnings every week, but I want to do it at least once in earnings season. Yeah, I think it was fun. Just, yeah, we just keep the numbers low, kind of go for overall stuff. I think it's fun. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. A few housekeeping items before we leave. If you're a regular listener, subscribe to our free newsletter and get our show notes and charts for each not so deep dive episode, along with our Sunday Finds new letter, newsletter. Excuse me. And the link is in the show notes for all these episodes, or you can search Chit Chat Money on Substack. If you like watching these episodes, you can do so on either YouTube or Spotify. Or not that these are only on YouTube, excuse me. But either way, you can watch the replays on YouTube or catch us live at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. And if you enjoy the show, give us a review on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We are We're not also on TikTok now. Yeah, Ryan's posting some... Uh, <laughs> well, I'm you learning. Got, you got, I feel like an old man, but... Uh, I'm you got three on A couple there. TikToks, yeah. Yeah, and they're just clips from these episodes. So uh, if you like them, go follow us there either way. But if you're already watching, um, yeah. Uh, all right. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. However, we are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time.